America. My name is I'm Yosef Frimpong, and I come to you live every Friday about this time to talk to you about something you need to know. And uh, there are a few things you're going to learn today about social science and about this guy named Maslow, Abraham Maslow, who was a famous uh, psychologist. And he came up with this theory, a theory of uh, human motivation, in which physiological desires uh, are emerge first, and then after those physiological desires emerge, then you get social desires. And after social desires emerge, you get like these desires for esteem. And then after esteem, you get desires for actual self-actualization and creativity, self-determination. Like that's, but in order to actually want self-determination, you have to have all of these other desires satisfied. And that's just false, right? So that's just false. It's importantly false. And it's importantly propaganda. Right, because and real short, the short version of why this is propaganda is: look, look, if you need the bottom layers fulfilled before the top layers mean anything, uh, before self determination means anything, then you will never be legitimized in risking the bottom layers for the sake of freedom. Right, so we pretty much taught the entire nation that. It is irrational to risk your job, your friends, your house, your food, your life for freedom. It's irrational. You're abnormal, and you might need to be looked at. Guess what? Can you really get serious about racial justice and labor justice if you're not willing to risk your job, your friends, your, even your life? I don't think so. So we pretty much figured out a way to low key of like turn like turn the entire nation into counter revolutionaries, and we've done that with this theory of motivation. And that's not the only thing in the social sciences that's a little bit dubious. We've done it with this theory of motivation in a way that um, actually we use a theory to say like, well, you know, you can't expect poor people to be just because they're too busy trying to to. Uh, to, to find their daily bread, right? So we have this theory that's used for, um, really for counter-revolution, but it's put in a nice package because it explains why, you know, we can't really expect, uh, you know, people who are degraded to care about beauty or justice or anything like that. They're too busy trying to get food, right? So that seems like uh, it's a little paternal, but a little bit uh, um, dubious. But then it really actually gets everybody else who's not like a billionaire um, out of the business of caring about justice. Because now they can't be any, nobody except anyone at the top of the pyramid can be expected to care about justice. Um, and that's a problem for, you know, those of us who care about justice. I'll say more about this and uh, give you a deeper story after the intro. My name is Amir Osei Frimpong, and I'm coming to you live every Friday like I do. Today I'm going to talk about something a little... All right, good. 
And now we're back. All right, so I study a lot about risk in society and, and how we kind of uh, dole out risk and consolidate risk and ship risk off to other people and give other people a risk holiday and just the division of risk in society because I think the division of risk in society is at least as important and honestly, I think it's more important than the division of labor. I think the division of labor comes out of the division of risk and without the division of risk, yeah, pretty much the idea is that like, I'll take all the risk, you do all the grunt work. And that's, a, that's not just America, but that's a lot of places, right? So if you can figure out the division of risk, it'll, you'll really go right at some of the primary justice issues, including what's going on in the division of labor, right? So um, when I talk to students about this, and we talk about, you know, people risking for justice and including the founding fathers who ended the Declaration of Independence that they will pledge their lives, their honor and their wealth. They pledge their lives, their honor, their wealth um, in order to get rid of King George's tyranny and be able to determine themselves. Right. So I talk about that. And then, you know, some students will say, like, well, you know, in Maslow, I read in my psychology book, or I was taught in psychology that um, it's, it's, it's just natural that, that you will not do that, that you'll care more about wealth, honor, and, and esteem, than uh, wealth, honor in your life, than you will uh, about justice. And so, you know, the, the students tell me that, and I'm like, where did you learn that? And uh, they say they're psychology books. And I talk to other people. They're like, well, we learned that in business school. And I talk to other people. They're like, well, we learned that in nursing school. And it all comes down to Maslow. So I actually read the, I read the little paper Maslow wrote in 1943. It's just like, it's a theory. Just written by a dude. And it's taken as gospel by all of these disparate, um, uh, all of these disparate disciplines and professions and all of these healing uh, professions and all of these helping professions in a way that becomes a form of ideological maintenance, right? So what are we telling people when we're telling people that we don't expect anyone to risk their jobs, their social status, their food, their um, anything for justice? What are we telling people? Well, we're telling people that there are two people who actually care about justice. There are going to be those people at the very bottom whose food is tied to justice. They're going to be willing to risk for justice, uh, uh, racial justice and labor justice. And there are those people at the very top who can lose the struggle and still not actually risk any of their other things. They won't be risking their honor. They won't be risking their security. They won't be risking their food. Those are the only two people who actually have, uh, rationally can, uh, can risk for justice. And there's racial justice, labor justice, any sort of self-determination or self-actualization. Those are the only two people who can live meaningful, who ha like are motivated to live for meaningful lives. Everybody else in the middle now has a very handy excuse about why they can't be bothered or shouldn't be bothered or why it would be irrational for them to risk for justice. Because if you're risking for justice, you're jeopardizing. Right? Like, there is no, like, Medgar Evers was shot, killed. He would have liked to have lived with his family, I'm sure, um, uh, in order to secure rights for black people, right? Um, you know, MLK, uh, 
Yeah, you know, the, the, the number of people who risked not only their lives, but their fortunes. You think Hosea Williams like, like, wanted to be broke? Uh, you know, I don't know. Like, that, I mean, that's the cautionary tale about all these civil rights leaders. Even the ones that made it, except for Jesse Jackson, ended up broke. And their families are broke. So they did all that. They risked all of that for justice. And, you know, John, John Lewis has some... I, I have my own thoughts about John Lewis. But, like, the idea is that they risked all of that for justice and they weren't irrational doing it. We should be grateful because they were actually more human because of what they did, not less. Right? We can tell some sort of story about the Founding Fathers, about how, you know, they weren't really risking for the nation. But actually, like you look at the Declaration of Independence, it's like the, the last sentence is we risk our honor, our wealth, and our lives, um, you know, to throw off this tyranny. Like, that was it. I don't know what you want. Like, they, they, uh, they put it on the line, and that's how we got a nation, right? And racial justice only comes in the United States if you're willing to risk. And if you're not willing to risk, any ally who's not willing to risk their jobs or their friends like, isn't really an ally. And we got, look, we got these white allies, allies, these white people who they say they're down for the cause, but they won't even risk friendships with people they don't like. And by the way, one of the ways you can be down for the cause is actually going to www.funkyacademic.com and kicking down five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month. Because I don't think you've ever heard anybody tell you that social sciences are actually counter-revolutionary propaganda that have just been normalized. I've never heard this argument against Maslow, and I think it. But I just I've seen it in my class, and I just I think it's right. There's a reason why because it's neither it's neither prescriptive nor descriptive, right? So it doesn't actually describe what motivates people and it doesn't describe universally what should motivate people right because when we talk about shoulds we talk about like you know mlk and founding fathers and people who sacrificed jesus people who sacrificed for the good and it doesn't talk about what actually motivates people because like there are empirical there are too many empirical um uh counter examples right like i had a friend who worked at a worked for a homeless program, an anti-homeless program, and they, you know, wrote this huge grant to get the homeless people off the street. So they got them little apartments sprinkled throughout the city. And what happened was the people who were in apartments ended up leaving their apartments and going back because that's where their friends were. There was meaning. They were missing, they were good, they had, so they had homes, but they didn't have any meanings. Right now, you know, Democrats have a hard time understanding why a lot of Republicans want to go back to church. A lot of people want to go back to church. You're 70 years old. You might get coronavirus and die, but yet you still want to go back to church. Are you being irrational? No. You just understand that meaning is more complicated than just having a roof over my head. Meaning is more com complicated than just health. And actually, meaning in life, there are different varieties of poverty. There's a po poverty of sustenance, but that's an underdeveloped, weak variety of poverty. The real poverty is a poverty of rights. It's a poverty of meaning. Right? You can have a roof over your head and still be poor. You can be spiritually poor. We have spiritual satisfactions, interactions with other people, meaning-making activities. And without that, like, what's a life worth living? What are they going to say at your funeral? You continued to live? You survived COVID? No, they're going to say that like, you did things with other people that were meaningful. So the institutions of meaning-making, those spiritual satisfactions, aren't really 
the lack of them is a form of poverty. And unless we understand poverty in that most robust sense, we don't understand what freedom looks like. Right. And I, I have, you know, I might do a whole show on the problem with basic needs discourse next week, but the problem, but real quickly, the problem with basic needs discourse is that it sets up a hierarchy of, of basic rights. Right. So if you think you have a basic need to healthcare, but you don't have a basic need for a job in a capitalist market economy, then you're just fooling yourself. You can't, you can't live a meaningful life in America without money. So insofar as you have a right to healthcare, you're going to also have a right to a job at a fair wage. That's not slavery. Right. So you need a job at a fair wage. That's enough for you to actually have disposable income to do stuff and time off and like, non-hazardous conditions so you need and so far as we talk about real freedom and and basic needs it has to be more than material sustenance it has to be actually the full complement of rights i've talked i did a show before about how you can't really be free in a nation of laws unless you have access to a lawyer like i don't understand this illusion that you could be free in america if you don't have access to a lawyer we are a nation of laws if you don't have access to a lawyer people can do whatever they want to you at any time um, yeah. nobody call themselves free without access to a lawyer in these United States and maybe even an accountant. I don't know. Uh, I'll tell you the people with access to lawyers and accountants are more free than the people who don't have those who don't have such access. Right? So we need to understand. And, you know, we also need to understand that, look, if you democratize power, these basic needs will follow. Right? So the problem is, the problem is, if you say that there are basic needs that are very important and freedom is just a means to get those basic needs, then those basic needs can be purchased or sustained or provisioned by unfree needs, also, uh, uh, unfree means also. So if freedom is just a means, and this is what Maslow argues, freedom is just a means to secure your sustenance is is what maggie uh, that's why we're attached that's why poor people are attached to freedom because they need freedom in order to um you know keep a roof over their head but that's actually not what's going on they want the roof over their head for freedom <laughs> um and if you give people freedom they'll also sustain the roof over their head because they need the roof over their head for freedom because freedom is the end not even if you're broke not um the roof uh, if you want, if, if people who actually are thinking about what it is to live a meaningful life, uh, like we don't want to go back to slavery. So here's the deal: if freedom is just a means for these basic psychological, uh, physiological needs, and these physiological needs can be provisioned by other means, more tyrannical means, then how are you going to talk someone out? of jeopardizing their basic needs in order to fight the tyranny that's supplying them. You're not. And Maslow gives you the ideology that supports that you should not. You should support tyranny. You should support the tyranny that's supplying your basic needs. And while freedom is nice, freedom is for people who already have basic needs. Right? So this is why it's counter-revolutionary propaganda because it tells that entire class that's below the tippy top and actually as part of the bottom, that, as long, that tells out all those people that they should not sacrifice for freedom, they should not fight tyranny, 
They should not fight for justice because you, you don't understand if you're fighting for ra um, racial justice and you're not willing to lose your job or lose your friendship, you're not really fighting for racial justice. <laughs> you're not. If you're not fighting, if you're fighting for racial justice and you're not willing to, um, yeah, if you're fighting for labor justice and you're not willing to lose your job, you're not really fighting for labor justice. You're play acting. Right? So Maslow and I think the social sciences in general give you the ideology that legitimizes not fighting for that entire class, including the academic class who teaches Maslow. And that's, I think, a huge problem because pretty much racial and labor justice depends on an equal distribution of risk and a fair distribution of risk. And as long as we are small about the fact of that, and we are so casual about degrading the justice claims of those um, who, uh, about, about degrading the role of freedom in, in, in self-determination in people's lives, even the people who are lower on the totem pole, then we're just confused and confusing and just giving like this particular class a way out of actually, you know, joining, joining shoulder to shoulder in the struggle for justice. Right? We've made it irrational for you to sacrifice anything for justice, for, for, for racial or labeled justice. And that's, and that's what Maslow low-key does. And so you'll hear it in your business classes. You'll hear it in your nursing classes. You'll hear it in your um, psychology classes. You might even hear it from your therapist or your friends. And uh, it's no it's just a mid-level form of that same like live your best life, follow your bliss that ends up being a form of liberal irresponsibility. Um uh, it, and, and, in, and, if so, and since so much depends on a fair distribution of risk, this widespread teaching of Maslow, and just the assumption that it's true, uh, I don't know, jeopardizes like any of our struggles for justice and normalizes excuses for just opting out of the struggle for justice. And black people, like, like that's, that's going to disproportionately affect us, right? So this is liberal anti-politics propaganded as ideology that's neither descriptive because it doesn't describe what people actually desire. Or pre and it's not prescriptive because it doesn't describe what people universally should desire. What it describes is what's in the best interest of a particular class of people who don't want to have to jeopardize anything, to, uh, don't want to have to fight tyranny to, to, to keep their rather comfortable unfreedom. They have a rather comfortable unfreedom and they want to keep it. So this gives them the ideological cover and they push it like it's normalized. They push it onto everybody else uh, in, in, in a way that makes it almost impossible to organize for, for justice. Now that it's normalized that obviously if you have to jeopardize your job or you have to jeopardize your safety or you have to jeopardize your food, you shouldn't do it. Like I get death threats constantly, constantly. <clears throat> it's gone down to like weekly now. 
but for you know in my hot times of you know it's it's multiple times a day and that's just the part of doing this work right so like if you're not if that's if it's the only reason you could listen to me now is because I'm willing to take on that risk. Um, and by the way, if more people took on that risk, there would be less heat on me, right? So what you got to do is go to www, excuse me, www.funkyacademic.com and kick in $5.15 or $50 a month. And uh, so, you know, I could grow, have a marketing budget, and get some helps with production and... and, and uh, you know, because depending on who you talk to, I'm making myself down white, unemployable. But I think it's important that we see where all of the counter-revolutionary ideology is getting is getting dispersed. And it seems in this these innocuous forms like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You talk to people about it, they're like, oh yeah, obviously there are basic needs. And these are people on the left who should know better. Obviously there are basic needs and the basic needs should come first. And to which I said like, no, people need freedom beginning right like you can't just say well it's enough to have health care uh, we should fight for health care first i'm like no you should fight for people to get jobs and a lawyer if everyone has jobs and a lawyer they'll figure out their health care or once you democratize power the health care will come because people will decide they want health care like everyone has already decided that like health care is hugely popular so right now we could either Fight, 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 fight for healthcare, or we could fight, 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 fight for democratizing power amongst the people for whom healthcare is hugely popular, and then they'll institute universal healthcare. Right? So you democratize, I, I, you know, I said this on Twitter, you democratize power first and the colonoscopies, the universal, the universal access to colonoscopies will follow. Um, so... Be very careful about people who want to, or who are very serious about a hierarchy of needs or basic needs, because what they're also talking about is a hierarchy of rights. And that's not the same as freedom. That's not the same as self-determination. And if you're actually free, if you're actually self-determined, you will uh, be in a position to secure all of these other things that you think are important, like, you know, healthcare and food. But you, what you don't want is those things secured by tyranny. Because then you're in the position, like I said before, of having to talk someone uh, to, out of fighting against the tyranny that sustains their basic needs, which isn't the hardest thing in the world until they have that ideology that they should never have to fight. There's nothing more important than, you know, food or shelter or security or friendship or whatever. Because if you put freedom on the top and all of these things that are more important closer to the bottom, then by the time you care about freedom, you've already, like, you're already implicated in all of these other things, right? So what we want to do is get the whole pyramid in the struggle. And the only way to get the whole pyramid in the struggle is saying, like, nobody gets a holiday from justice. Everyone risks. Everyone risks. And if you're waiting to risk for justice, if you're waiting for a place where you don't have to risk in order to struggle for justice, then you're not really serious about the struggle for justice. Because in this struggle, everyone's going to risk. And you just have an immature understanding of what the work of risk 
it does in life. We're looking for the fair distribution of risk, not, um, not the elimination of risk. So thank you for your time. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it comes up and it's counter-revolutionary propaganda. It is. You know, I will say he does mention freedom and justice um, uh, in one section of the, 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 the paper. He talks about it as being tied to basic needs insofar as the reason why poor people care about freedom and justice so much is they see that as immediately tied to being able to secure their basic needs. So um, they don't really care about freedom of justice. They really care about the basic needs and they've just kind of conflated the two. That's wrong. And it's wrong in a dangerous way because it leaves open the door for the basic needs to be fitfully secured by tyrannical means, not through freedom and justice. Um, and then if it's secured by tyrannical means, it, it, it closes the opportunity um, for those people to fight tyranny because then it becomes irrational to fight the hand that bites you, uh, that feeds you, even if the hand that feeds you is a tyrant. By the way, I, um, I'm a big fan of biting the hand that feeds me. I think that's the only way justice comes because usually black people, by the time the hand is feeding you, it's taken away all of your parents' food. Like that's, that's what it means to be black. They're just giving you a little bit back. You're just getting the scraps back. They've already taken your meal. All right. I will talk to you next week and go ahead and share this to your friend. I don't know if it's Christmas spirit, but it's clarifying. Peace.